Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. So, Bertie, tell us about your call center experience, which you mentioned because you're wearing a headset thing here. Yeah. Anytime I wear one of these headsets and I'm not playing video games or something, I do feel like I'm at a call center. I used to work at the Sears Catalog Call Center, uh -huh. fresh out of high school. I'm bilingual. Je parle français as well. And uh -huh. they were hiring anyone who could speak French. And I would answer the phone for eight hours and take people's orders. And they were mostly your grandma calling, asking for uh, the latest flyer sales. So I'd be like reading off mm -hmm. blouses and shoes and things. <laughs> but the thing was, you didn't get a break. I don't know for anyone who's ever worked in a call center. As soon as someone would hang up, then you'd get another beep and you'd have to accept that next oh my God. call. And it, it got a bit much. And uh, I've worked many, many jobs in my life, and that one still haunts me a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I assume it, it paid really well, though, right? At the time, it did, yeah. Oh, it did? I was being yeah. very sarcastic, but that's great. Yeah, I think at the time, it did. And it was fun. It was a fun summer gig. Mm -hmm. But uh, I worked in two different comic stores as well, and those were far better jobs. <laughs> And were you doing music at the same time? Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I, I was dabbling, making my own stupid little mixtapes and songs and writing raps and rhyming. And I didn't really ever see it as like, this is what I'm going to do is like a career path. I just always loved doing it and never stopped doing it. And mm -hmm. I always credit my friends for kind of encouraging me and just kind of kicking my butt to just keep doing it. And yeah, I just always wrote rap songs and never stopped and <laughs> now i'm still doing it but yeah i was rapping at the time and there's definitely some call center rhymes that come in there and <laughs> yeah the comic shop and all my jobs kind of filter into my music yeah. as well as you know yeah totally you know anything you can pull from it, at least for me it always leads to song ideas or bits or something absolutely totally. well i guess this is less an experience to pull from than a moment of inspiration so i used to be an academic and i was a physics professor and I remember I was in Cairo shortly after the revolution lecturing. And I remember being in a cab in the middle of Cairo, just, you know, going from one thing to the other. And this is when my comedy band was probably two-ish years in existence at that point. And I'm in this backseat of this cab in the middle of Cairo. And this little idea balloon pops out of my head for a song title. Everybody shut up. I have an erection. And... <laughs> I got back to my hotel room right in Tahrir Square, the scene of the revolution, and I wrote the lyrics to Everybody Shut Up, I Have an Erection on the stage of world history. It was really quite a moment. <laughs> well, you never know when inspiration will hit. Yeah. Question. Sorry, Layton. I'm not taking questions at the moment. I'm very sorry. <laughs> yes, what? Did you have an erection? No. Okay. I did not. What made me think of it? I don't know. It was just one of those little... You know, there's a famous story about, is it Planck? Some scientist who was pondering some problem. I think it was Planck, but I'm not sure. And then went outside for a walk and has the story about he realized the solution. He stepped to get on a bus, put his foot on the step on the bus, and then bam, it was just poof, lightning bolt inspiration. 
That's what I felt like with that song. Wow. I actually have a question, <laughs> Brian, even though you're the host of the show and we speak multiple times every week, yes. I have a question about a specific Ninja Sex Party song that I've always oh, wondered wow. about the origin of. Where, when, why, and how peppermint creams? Oh, so Sean, for context here, we have a song called Peppermint Creams, which is kind of a medieval ballad, kind of goes back and forth between like this very medieval ballad and a little harder sound. And that's because when I used to live in the UK, they have a confection there called Peppermint Creams. And I would go to Waitrose, you know, usually around the holidays, and I'd buy a box of peppermint creams. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds like a fun idea for a song. What are peppermint creams? Well, you'll have to listen to the song to find out. But it's a body part. or That's the question of the song, basically. Describe an actual physical candy peppermint cream. It's sort of like a little meringue. Oh, and you dip it you in know? a little chocolate. I see. I mean, you could, but I personally don't like peppermint and chocolate, but I'm a monster. Mm. Yeah, we have discussed that. Okay, yes. great. Yeah. <laughs> That's been a burning question for a long time, and now I know great. what both kinds of peppermint creams are. No mint chip ice cream? You wouldn't go for that? This is actually, I've <laughs> recently discussed this on the show. I hate mint chip ice cream. My daughter loves it. It's her favorite. I dislike it. I love mint. I love chocolate. I like little chocolate wafer mints, by the way. Mm-hmm. I don't like mint chip ice cream. Update on what I said last week. I have no memory of what you said last week. So you're all right. You never do. But I was very excited to eat some mint chocolate chip ice cream for the first time in like a decade. Mm. Reporting back, fucking delicious. There is something wrong with you, Brian. Now I know. Yep, I'm a monster who hates fun. As we yes, we all know. (laughs) Bergie, what's your ice cream preference? I actually love mint chip. Okay, but I'll go one above that, which. Many people find this choice reprehensible. I love, we have an ice cream called Tiger Tail. It's orange ice cream with black licorice. Oh my God. Wait. What? It's orange ice cream with black licorice, which are my two favorite jelly bean flavors. You know, I call them Halloween flavors, but that ice cream is so good. And then Halifax actually has its own ice cream called Moon Mist. It's a strange combo I've never had anywhere else. It's blueberry, banana, And grape. It's beautiful. It looks beautiful. Oh, yeah. As far as I know, it is a Halifax or Nova Scotia, the province, uh, exclusive flavor because I've never heard, seen, or tasted it anywhere else. In fact, it's listed on Gastro Obscura, the Atlas Obscura food vertical, as a Nova (laughs) Scotian original. Wow. That's amazing. And I don't know the origin of it. So here it says, actually, it says it's grape, banana, and bubble gum. Is that accurate? Or is it more blueberry? I guess it would be bubble gum. I'll be honest, the banana kind of overpowers the whole thing. So it tastes like (laughs) banana, but the colors, depending where you go, it's going to be like purple, yellow, and blue, or purple, yellow, and like a pink. So I could see, yeah, like the rumor is that maybe like, they had extra flavors of all these other ice creams and they mixed them together and then people were like, I want that. It's like, yeah, it's that's a it. Mist. It sounds so romantic. Yeah, it does. It does. And it's beautiful. <laughs> I am so excited that we asked you that question because you named two ice creams I've never heard of before. Both yes, of indeed. which look aesthetically so cool. Like that 
tiger tail just looks gorgeous. I'm not a licorice person, but I would try that. That looks beautiful. Thank you. I am constantly judged when I order a tiger tail. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing I'm curious about. So, you know, I do have several Nova Scotian friends, and one of them in particular will not shut up about Donair. (laughs) (laughs) And at first I was like... such a funny way to describe our friend. Should we say who it is? No. Okay, great. Let it lie. <laughs> Let it lie. Let it lie in. Okay, fine. Maybe people will get it. Yeah, but this guy loves Donair. And at first I was like, oh, like Donair kebab, you know, like you'd get anywhere. And he's like, no, no, no. It's a special <laughs> thing. So do you share this passion for Donair? And well, can you describe it for our lovely listeners, first of all? I do. For those who don't know, it is a giant wet pita. Warm, off to warmly an amazing start. Wetted, <laughs> a yeah. warmly wetted pita when it's done properly, stuffed with shaved, miscellaneous, but we assume it's a lamb or beef mixture of meat. Yep. And a sweet sauce that's made with like vinegar and condensed milk, which sounds kind of gross, but oh my gosh, it's good. And then you sprinkle it with onions and some people put tomatoes on it. I kind of just go onions, mm-hmm. maybe a little parsley or something for a little bit of a flair. But yeah. it's a late night delicacy. This is what you get after a night of partying. Everyone yeah. gets a Halifax donair. And it's very regional, right? It's like strictly an East Coast Canada thing. Although I have to say, I, w- I was in Toronto a month ago, a couple weeks ago, and right downtown, I saw a place offering, you know, East Coast donair. And I was surprised to see it in Toronto. I was like, oh, I didn't know this made it out. Yeah, (laughs) it really took off in the 70s. So Halifax has a huge Lebanese population. And again, this is all like hearsay, but legend has it that some of the Lebanese communities were making donairs, but they wanted to make them that local people could enjoy as well. So they used local ingredients and they combined the spices that they had been used to and they created this unique Nova Scotian sandwich mm-hmm. based on an old recipe. Yeah. For years and years, you could not get a Halifax donair outside of Nova Scotia. And yeah, in recent years, when I'm touring across Canada every now and then, someone will be like, we got you donairs and I'll have one in like Ottawa or Edmonton. It's like, it's not quite Halifax never, It's never quite the same. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know, I used to crush them like in high uh-huh. school. But the older you get, you just, you can't throw these things back. Like you eat a donut oh, yeah. and it stays with you for a week. Like you'd wake up naked under a car and you wouldn't remember <laughs> anything that happened except that at some point you ate a donut. You ate a donut. <laughs> <laughs> like, that kind of thing. And the smell stays with you. You never reheat a donut in a microwave. That's a big no-no. <laughs> I've tried that sauce when the friend in question that I was referring to was visiting. He brought a bottle of Donair sauce and said it was the real shit, not like some knockoff. And so <laughs> what's the other thing? It's cheese bread that you dip in the Donair sauce. Is oh, that? Yeah. Garlic fingers. Wow. Garlic you fingers. Know That's your what it is. Stuff. Look, I, I'm a man of the world, of course. Ryan, I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> so the closest we could get to garlic fingers was a small Domino's cheese stick thing which he said was close enough for the purposes needed. And he got to watch as we all dipped our dominoes in the sauce. And he was like, uh-huh, see, uh-huh, isn't it great, uh-huh. 
<laughs> you were like, mm, oh, so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How was it? Not my favorite. Yeah. It's pretty sweet, right? Mm. It is shockingly sweet. To call it sweet would be kind of an understatement. Yeah. It's sweet with that vinegar side, too. And it's also got that condensed milk kind of thing in it. And it's a lot. There's a lot going on. It's a panoply of flavors and textures. Yeah, it's simultaneously thick, viscous, and... But watery. And watery. Like That's it's, a good way of putting it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it. It is viscous yet watery. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Nothing else like it. <laughs> I love it. So you're in Toronto now. I am in Toronto, the hotbed of action in Canada. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. You moved there for music, like, because it was a better scene? Yeah, just music, arts, everything. Both of my parents were actually from Toronto originally. And so I would always come up and visit. I had a lot of cousins here. And I kind of always knew I wanted to come up here. And way more going on, especially like for the live shows, you know, for sure. pre-pandemic, I could gig in a different venue every week and never have to That's leave awesome. the city. Whereas a place like Halifax, which I love, yeah. gigging, of course, you play one show every few months there, kind of, right? Right. They kind of get it. They kind of get it, yeah. <laughs> I want to get into that. I do want to provide some context for people, though. So everybody, this is Late Night with Brian Wecht. Over here we have Leighton Gray. That's me, the one who just spoke. That was Brian Wecht. Hi. And mystery guest. Would you care to introduce yourself and tell our audience what you do? Yes, I'm Canada's best-kept rumor, <laughs> word burglar. I'm a verbal masseuse. I guess you would say I'm an indie rapper, originally from Halifax, based in Toronto, as we've established. And yeah, I like to make words rhyme over old school beats. And I rap about stuff I love, like Donairs and Moon Mist and <laughs> baseball and video games and comic books and all the good things. That's awesome. So the connection here, by the way, is Rich O'Coin. He was like, dude, you got to listen to my friend Word Burglar's stuff because it's awesome. And I think he'd be a great guest. And he was right on both counts. And I was so impressed with that. that I was shocked I didn't know it already, if you know what I mean by that. Because it is squarely in my wheelhouse of <laughs> the kind of stuff I love. I'm curious if you know this guy. I got big Paul Barman vibes from it. Do you know MC Paul Barman? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with his work and the stuff, yeah, with Prince Paul. Who is that? He's a rapper. I believe he's originally from Brooklyn. I think New Jersey, because it's right around where I grew up. I think we're like exactly the same age. Yeah, I guess I first heard about him, I guess, maybe in the early 2000s, and he had like uh -huh. a big underground record. And yeah, he worked with Prince Paul, who's, you know, an incredible hip-hop producer, incredible De La producer. Soul, and just so many great, great albums. You know, there's a guy with just a very unique style, incredible rhyme writer, the way he plays with his cadence and delivery and just vocal inflection. He's just got a right. very unique thing going on. His big underground thing was this EP, It's Very Stimulating, which I think was 99, although I'm not quite sure. And that's where he came on my radar. It's like a six-track thing. I think all produced by Prince Paul, but maybe it's just some of the tracks. I can't quite remember. And this is pre-Nerdcore or any of that stuff, right? I think this is right at the beginning of that. And I was like, whoa. It felt like I'd been waiting for this kind of stuff, you know, my whole life. It was so solidly in the great production plus, you know, unapologetically nerdy wordplay. And there, of course, you know, a lot of amazing wordsmiths out before him. But as a like nerdy middle class white guy rapper, I was like, oh, this feels like if I rapped what I would sound <laughs> like, you know, there was something very familiar to me about it. I think it went to Brown or something. So he's like overeducated kind of <laughs> dude. The couplet I remember 
that really hit me the most was I'm the Nay plus ultra of B plus culture, which I always loved. Like it was a Latin phrase in there with a little dig to great inflation. But anyway, my point is that when I listen to your stuff, that same kind of, like you said, playing with cadence and really, really smart rhymes with all the kind of nerd geek references too. I was like, this feels very much of a kind, but of a more modern sort of version of it. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, what I've always loved about rap since really I was a kid, it was you could do so much with the art form. And someone like Paul Barman's a great example because it's such a unique voice, but he's like, still, when you look at it, it's very true to what rap is and the creation and speaking your own voice and keeping it real and being artistic and being nerdy. If you look back at the history of like people creating beats it's a nerdy practice to come up with this stuff. And you look at like Grandmaster Flash and even like Q-Tip and any of these, like sure. you have to be nerdy about this stuff to make it good. Oh, they're these like hyper-intellectual perfectionists when it comes to this stuff. Like everything has to be dialed in just right. Get that snare just right. These guys, like maybe not the very early pioneers of rap, you know, but once the production stuff really starts taking off in the 80s, then it's, yeah. Like you see old interviews with Flash and how he would just piece together like random parts of bits of audio equipment that he would just find and like create things with it. And it's the DIY aspect, right? So like punk and hip hop. And I mean, many people have said that hip hop became like the evolution of that DIY spirit of punk. So who do you think of as your biggest influences musically? You know, when I was a kid, I listen to Public Enemy a lot. Public Enemy and LL Cool J probably more than most. I listen to Run DMC, Fresh Prince. Like I benefited from having older kids in my neighborhood who were all into hip hop. My cousin gave me like NWA, like, and it just all filtered down and I could just never get enough of it. You know, Public Enemy, I always say it was a big influence just because you've got Chuck D and you've got Flavor Flav. And Flavor Flav is, is almost like this kind of court jester, but, and then Chuck D is coming and dropping this like knowledge and education. And, uh, you yep. know, I always say I got a better education from public enemy than public school. <laughs> you know, Chuck D was talking about things that I really didn't understand, racism and politics and all these things. And just being a kid absorbing that and seeing like, wow, but then also like something like LL Cool J, which is more like just rhymes right in your face, but like yep. storytelling. And then Fresh Prince, of course, listen to a lot of, and the humor. And that was more kid-friendly too. Mm-hmm. Public Enemy was, you know, aimed, I'd say, maybe at like teenagers and up. Will Smith, Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince stuff felt like 13 and down, even though it was fun for everybody. For sure. First of all, I remember Nightmare on My Street fucking terrifying me when I was (laughs) at a very impressionable age. You know, Will Smith now, of course, everyone knows, you know, he's had a pretty good career. Yeah, he's doing okay. (laughs) I don't think he gets the credit he deserves really as a lyricist and a storyteller. Like in those early days, if you listen to old Fresh Prince, like he was a great rhyme writing storyteller. Uh Nas is another guy who I always loved his storytelling. And then... Of course, guys like Cool Keith, who would really push things into kind of this stranger space. Oh, I'm a huge Cool Keith fan. Yeah. People will talk a lot about Dr. Octagon, but I love Sex Style, which is... So, Layton, do you know anything about Cool Keith? Name is familiar, but no. Dr. Octagon was his kind of big breakthrough personality, right? So he had this album, Dr. Octagon Ecologist, which had like a couple crossovery hits. I can't remember. Was Blue Flowers? Blue Flowers one? was probably yeah. the most crossover one. Earth People is pretty catchy. Earth too. People is an amazing song that I used to perform with my band really? in San Diego. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. We've specifically talked about that song. And he he's a like notorious weirdo too. Just a really oddball kind of dude. He makes one of the raunchiest albums I think I have ever, ever heard called Sex Style, which it's a great album, but it is just 100% about fucking from start to finish. And it's fantastic. I hear you on the Dr. Octagon Sex Style thing. Dr. Octagon is so great, but song for song, Sex Style is almost like the songs are almost better. Dr. Octagon has like two or three like really standout tracks and then it's just a beautiful, you know, automator on the beats. That's right. So the Dan the Automator stuff is amazing production throughout and the old school like sci-fi samples are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Diesel Truckers is a great one. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I don't know that A couple years later with Cutmaster Kurt who did a lot of the production on Sex Style. If not... All of it. I went back through Keith's catalog not too long ago, and I was like, yeah, Diesel Trucker still really might be my fave. Shameless yeah. plug, I had the honor of doing a track with Keith a few years ago. Did you ago, really? So that was like a bucket whoa. list. Oh, whoa. That's amazing. Yeah. Mega Rand, who's a friend of mine, he actually made it happen, and he knew I was like a big fan of Keith, and I think the opportunity came up, and he was like, do you want to do this song together? So there's two versions of it. There's one on Mega Rand's album, Random RNDM, and one on my mm-hmm. record, Space Verse. And yeah, Keith just space rhymes over some really cool beats. <laughs> and that, Yeah, that was an honor. That's I've met great. him a few times, and he is... Uh, super unique but when you meet him like he can almost read like how you know him and he (laughs) would give you that i've seen him perform a few times one show i swear for like a half hour he just like got on the mic and said like statements about basketball he didn't even like (laughs) like portland trailblazers la lakers i like milwaukee they got the bucks. Like, it was just like, what are you One doing, One of the things man? I love about him, especially on Dr. Octagon, an ecologist, is that he's unafraid to not rhyme. He'll just say cool shit that sounds great. And sometimes the rhymes are really impressive and awesome. And other times it's just, it's, they're, they're not rhyming and that's totally fine. What an unsung rap legend superstar. Yep. And still doing his thing, still independent, was on major labels, He's putting out like three or four albums a year still. There are a lot of them you can tell he just like walks into a booth, drops whatever's on his mind or in his phone, and then just leaves and never looks back at it again. It's like one of these things, like Master Ace is another guy who's one Mm -hmm. of my Mm -hmm. top, I put him right up there. And just these MCs that have been doing it forever, like way back. Like if you see Keith perform now, he's old school. You can just tell his show. Like this is a guy who was rocking mics in New York City in the 80s. And he's still kicking it you know and they say rap is like for the young people but like all the rappers now are 50s 60s like the legends this is one thing i was always curious about growing up is like what are these guys the young guys in hip-hop now what are they going to be like when they're older and it is so fun watching these guys get older and more mature and expand their toolbox and sometimes keep it very minimal and old school but there's nothing better than like a 60-year-old guy who's been at it for, you know, 45 years or something and still going strong and just gives zero fucks and is just ready to say whatever he wants to say. Yeah. I, I love it. Nas, I think, you know, after having a few albums that kind of didn't really do much, like the last year or two, he's put out some of the best work of the last 15 years. Yeah, I haven't heard anything recently. Pete Rock's back. DJ Premier just has a new album out with Rhapsody and Remy Ma and Nas and all these people. Anyways, we turn this into the rap corner. <laughs> <laughs> I was curious, the production on your stuff is so great. 
So what's the collaboration on beats? Do they just hand you something and you're like, you go for it? Or is there a lot of conversation? There's a lot of conversation. There's actually there's a couple different ways to come about it. First way is producers or friends of mine, like some of these guys I've worked with forever, like Beat Mason and Fresh Kills and Timbuktu and Less. Like, I don't say the word blessed very often, but I do feel blessed that like, I've been coming up with these guys for like 15 years and they're just getting better and better at the beats. So what'll happen is someone will send me a beat and be like, here, I think this sounds like you. Like I can really hear you rapping on this beat. Where would you take it? What do you want to do with that? Another way is I find samples. Like I'm always digging for samples. I'm always record digging. I'm digging through old cartoons, whatever. Yep. So then that way I'll find a sample and I'll be like, you know who I think would like actually appreciate this sample and do something unique with it? And then I send that sample to the producer and we work with those are sort of the two main ways that it happens and then i guess sometimes you know i'll just hear a beat or i will say like i really have this idea for a song and i think i need an organ in it or i really uh -huh. want saxophone i want to do this do you have anything that's like disco style and then some producers will just like whip it up so it's almost like i talk to them but every beat i work on i'm very hands-on back and forth i put a lot of work into every album to make sure every rhyme is fitting perfectly with the beats and it's really a credit to the producers and the engineers for having the patience to work with me but i get pretty nerdy about my sound and i think i've been able to maintain some cohesion throughout the albums oh dude it shows just stuff sounds great i mean it really Thank really you. does like throughout i wouldn't have you know said oh this sounds really meticulous but it sounds <laughs> awesome <laughs> thank you i can tell that a lot of thought went into it for sure Thanks. Yeah, I got my stink over everything. <laughs> I earned my executive producer credit. <laughs> you know, I'm also the choreographer and the publicist and podcast booker. <laughs> yeah, I, I know how it goes. Yeah, what's your approach to your music videos? Yeah, again, it's been a bit of sometimes directors come to me and say, hey, I love this song of yours. Let's do a video for it. Other times as I'm writing the song, I'm like literally visualizing how this video would go. Yeah. Hours ago, I had a mullet down to my back. Like I basically grew pandemic hair and literally I got my hair cut today, like a few oh, hours really? ago. Oh, really? Oh, And wow. chopped it all off. Um, but I had really, really long hair. And then I had this idea for an action figure song and I could see the video. It's like an 80s or 90s TV commercial where this wrestler comes on screen and starts yelling at kids to buy all these toys. And uh -huh. the toys are ridiculous. So the song is me rapping all these toys. And the toy line's called 1984. Oh, that's great. <laughs> There's like Coin Op, the team robot, you know, Last Nerve. He's a team single dad. He's got no free time. Don't make him mad. Basically, all these toys and I was like it's got to be a wrestler and I was like I've got the pandemic hair I'm going to cut it into a mullet and shoot this TV commercial nice. video and the song's not out yet so you guys just got the sneak peek wow. probably won't drop till maybe next year anyways we just shot the video I had a crazy mullet like wrestling mullet of your dreams that's amazing so great. and then I just chopped it all off a couple hours ago so it feels weird if I'm doing this a lot I'm getting used to not having hair <laughs> I, I remember touching that. my shoulders it becomes <laughs> like part of your deal do you feel yep. like the weight lifted from your skull right now yeah, like I'm still getting used to it because the mullet was so crazy. Here, I'll show you. So, wow, yeah, you cut it all you off. Really basically. took it all down. Yeah, I never had long hair in my entire life, and uh, it was probably about your length, actually, Layden. And I figured, well, it's a pandemic. Why not let it go? Grow your hair out once. Got to try yep. it. But the thing I never thought about, and much respect to everyone out there with long hair, nighttime. 
sleeping with long hair uh-huh. before I figured out I could tie it up and put it up in my head like some crazy man bun or person bun. Like I'd wake up and I'd be like pulling my hair or be all in my face. I don't know how I never thought about that before. Did you ever do braids? Braids are pretty much like the way for me. I did not. Layton, what do you do with your hair when you sleep? Do you just let it go or do you tie it up or something? Oh, if I like took a shower and my hair needs to be nice, I'll braid it. But personally, I'm very attached to just like shoving it all against my face. (laughs) I have very soft hair. It's nice. You know, it's like a little nest, which is why my hair is just a bird's nest most of the Mm -hmm. time. So I sort of had the opposite of you where I have had super long hair most of my life. And then I cut it all off and had like a really short pixie cut with a side cut. And I don't think I would go back to it, but the feeling of just having it all off and being able to like rub the side of your head is the greatest. Yeah. Yeah. And there's that weird thing when you first cut it and you would go to shampoo it and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like that feeling. Yeah. Shouldn't it be longer? And you use like five times the amount of shampoo you actually need. And then it just goes all over your head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like never had to do anything with my hair. It was just like, all right, good. And now, now it's like they're tumbleweeds of my own hair mixed with my dog's hair just going past my apartment. Yeah, I used to have it in college. I had it down to my waist and oh, you yeah. know, started growing it my first year and then just let it go and cut it, I think maybe the, I guess the year after I graduated. So I used to have the real, real long, you know, like parted in the middle, pull up the ponytail kind of thing. And looking back, like, what the fuck was I thinking? This was such a bad look. <laughs> we all have our what the fuck was I thinking era. <laughs> <laughs> but it yes. was fun, right? And people do treat you a little different, I think, when you have long yeah, hair. I there, noticed there that. There are probably a variety of reasons for that <laughs> in, in my yeah. case. But this would have been the mid to late 90s when I had this. And I do remember traveling in the south of America at some point and getting some looks because that was not a typical look. I think they expected to see on a beautiful young nerd such as myself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, weren't they just lucky? Weren't they blessed? Yes. It might also have been, so the other thing, I've talked about this on the show, but the other things I was wearing at the time was I would wear Tiva sandals with white socks. I was always a socks and Tiva guy and like acid washed baggy jeans and like a, some kind of t-shirt with an unbuttoned Oxford shirt over it. These big round glasses. Oh, you were making a pronounced statement. (laughs) I I remember at some point thinking this was really kind of an eye opener for me. I was like, should I think about what I'm going to wear in the morning (laughs) or just grab things and put them on? And I I was probably like 20 when I first realized I was like, oh, maybe I should like think about this. That was a phase change. For sure. I had a similar thing. And I think so much of it ends up being like the internalized misogyny that gets instilled in you of like, uh, women who put effort into their appearance are blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, why would you dress for anything other than comfort? And looking at pictures from that time, I'm like, oh, honey, that's why. (laughs) This is why. (laughs) Yes. Although there's a lot to be said for dressing for comfort. Absolutely. Yeah, I've circled all the way back around. But, you know, it's nice. If it's a thing that you care about, it's nice. And sometimes you find that when you are, this is not always the case, but when you're like, I'm just going to throw the first thing that I put on on, 
maybe you aren't taking the best care of yourself in general. I'm pretty much solely speaking about my experience from that period where it's like, it would behoove you to perhaps brush your hair and to shower a little bit more frequently than you currently do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes it <laughs> like choosing to dress nicer comes bundled with like, maybe I generally should take care of my flesh prison a little bit more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's all about making the flesh prison look nice. And yeah, that's a great one. I've never heard that before. <laughs> I'm curious if you know this. So the gaming channel that Layton and I are slash were both affiliated with, Game Grumps, has a popular character named Bergie. Do you know about this? I did not know that. No. I feel like people have been screaming at their podcasts. Yeah. yeah when is yeah. he going to mention Game Grumps Bergie? So uh, wow. early on in the history of Game Grumps, and someone who knows the channel better than I do, I'm sure can get this right. They said, <laughs> why wouldn't it be funny right now if we had a floating hamburger just go across the screen? And thus Bergie the burger, not burglar, but Burger was born. And if you Google Bergie Game Grumps, so B-U-R-G-I-E Game Grumps, you will see Bergie the Burger, which has been an enduring part of the Game Grumps iconography. Wow. Wow. I did not know. And it's cool to know that. Bergie, I guess, became just my nickname. I don't know. It was like Timbuktu or Beat Mason. Or one of my friends I was just making music with started calling me Bergie. And then it just kind of stuck. <laughs> like Bergie, word Bergie. Yeah. <laughs> and that was after Word Burglar. Like you had that already. And then they called you Bergie. It wasn't retconned from Bergie. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. No, Word Burglar started in, I think I started using that in 2001 or 2002. And it was basically a song I made. Because uh -huh. I used to just be like SJ, the Word Burglar, like my initials, Sean Jordan, SJ. And then I had a single, and it was just called The Word Burglar. And I kind of wrote this song, The Word Burglar, and like that described what I did. And I'm a big comic book fan and nerd, and it sounded like a comic character. And the idea was that my rhymes are hot, you know, like they're mm -hmm. stolen, like hot. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love the double entendres and synonym puns and all that fun stuff. So that's where it came from. It's like, my rhymes are hot. I burgle words, the word burglar. Yeah. And that song actually started getting a lot of play on college radio. Oh, nice. And then I would go play shows. I'd be like, I'm SJ. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then I'd get up and do the song and people would be like, oh, wait, you're word burglar? I just oh, didn't know you yeah. were word And I was like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I'm SJ, the word burglar. Like, And then it just kind of was like, well, word burglar, it's me. It was my name. And I remember at the time, some people were like, you can't call yourself word burglar. This is kind of goofy. And I'm like, no, man, it's perfect. Like, I'm kind of goofy. I'm kind of nerdy. It felt like this natural thing. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm word burglar. Yeah, I love it. With the comics thing, I was going to ask. So I watched all the videos you sent. So Drawings with Words, it was obviously filmed at some kind of Comic Con or something. Where was that? Was that a, a Toronto thing? Halifax or what? Yeah, that was shot at Toronto Fan Expo, which is essentially Toronto's equivalent of Comic Con, which as we're recording, San Diego Comic Con's happening right now. That's right. Happening right now. That's right. And as much as I hate to say it, I am so glad I am not at San Diego Comic Con. Yes, I actually last week got an invitation to be on a panel down there. Oh, one of those last minute somebody else dropped out type situations? I don't think it was quite that. I think it was a panel got approved late or something like that. But I couldn't make it this weekend because of a conflict. And I was so relieved when I could honestly <laughs> say, I'm sorry, I can't make it down. Look, there are a lot of things to like about Comic-Con. It is, of course, a huge honor to be a part of it. It is also an unending nightmare from which there is little to no escape. And also in the middle of, 
you know, another COVID wave right now didn't seem like an amazing place to be. Yeah. yeah. I share your enthusiasm for not being in San Diego. Yeah, I've canceled any Comic-Con appearances this year. I love it. And I know people are calling it like San Diego COVID-Con. I hope everyone's healthy and okay. But knowing how it is exactly what you said, when you're indoors, let alone outside, even when you're in lines outside, there's so many people. It's also like good luck going anywhere to get food. Anywhere. That's the worst (laughs) part is like you go to these things. And I've been to a lot of cons in my day and... Unless you are talent and can go get the secret food, it's a nightmare. And even then, often, by the way, the secret talent food is unavailable because people just go in and, you know, just get as much as possible and then leave. So I'm sure it's fine at San Diego Comic-Con, but. Someone who is a longtime vet of the Comic-Con was talking to me about how he found out that, like, with all of those restaurants in the Gaslamp District, he had been remarking on like how consistently terrible they were year after year of going to Comic-Con. And he found out, and this makes so much sense that because of like, there's such a high volume of people in town for Comic-Con that like they have to revert to much more basic menus so they can even get like the volume to be able to make these things. So it's like, generally (laughs) the food is not as good as it would probably be any other time of the year there. And also you have to wait fucking forever behind a bunch of people who are cosplaying, which is fine. That's great. But it's so hot and you're so hungry and there's so many people and it's overwhelming. As someone who wants to sit in a dark room and stare at a wall, it gets kind of old pretty quick. Now, look, I lived in San Diego for six years. And even when I lived in San Diego, my first thought was never, let's go downtown. Like, let's go hang out by the convention center. It's just not the cool part of town. Like, it's the corporate kind of downtown with the clubs and the bars. If that's your scene, great. But for me, I wanted cheap, disgusting Mexican food by the beach, which is vastly superior than a $20 BLT or whatever. Yeah, I do love cons and I love being at a table. I love walking sure. around, seeing stuff. The stuff I dreamed about as a kid is like, oh, wow, we were in the con era. It's out of control. Yeah. I just bring snacks. I try and go Smart. to a grocery store. I do this when I'm on tour too. I always try and find a grocery store, get like veggies, crackers, apples, like stuff that can last a day in your backpack and then just kind of nibble through the day and hopefully find coffee somewhere. Yep. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, binge on like a pizza or something. It's so easy to not eat healthy on tour and like three days in and you're like, uh-oh. I think I made a tactical mistake here. Like first night of tour, (laughs) it's exciting. You're going to have a few drinks, you know, it's going to be great. You're back on the road. And then two days later, it's like, oh God, what am I doing? And you have to wake up early and get somewhere. It's not a fun scene to be feeling like shit on tour, which is going to happen regardless of how healthy you eat. You can be, you know, just doing fucking kale smoothies for two weeks and at the end you'll still feel like ass. Yeah, exactly. So when you perform live, what's your setup? Just you and tracks or is there more to it than that? Yeah, I'm pretty flexible. My preferred way to go is with a DJ. So it's always great whether I'm touring with a DJ or have a DJ in a city that I go to because I really like the DJ, the turntable, like being able to like stop, being able to banter back and forth. Like it's so fun to have someone on stage with and especially if they can do, you know, some turntablism and some tricks. Oh, it's amazing. Do the scratches and the this and the that, you know. It's a real crowd pleaser too. yeah. Yeah. And I've been lucky that I get to do that. But I'm also, I could just plug in my phone. I mean, I 
ideally plug in a laptop and have my playlist. But you know, there's everything from burning a CD and having the CD. Like I'll be prepared. Like if you got to give it to the guy, if you're playing a comedy club and they're not set up for music, sometimes they have a CD <laughs> oh, player I... and the guy, you just be like, Jerry, put on track two. I miss seeing, you know, this is probably in like the late 90s, early 2000s. I miss seeing the hip hop acts that you're just, you know, CD, play, go kind of thing. There's something very underground about it. Well, you set me up, I know, for the people well, on they Patreon. Are. I just wow. picked yeah. this up. It's a spindle, for those who Look haven't seen that. one in a decade, wow. of 100 blank CDs. Wow. Bandcamp, they do vinyl fundraisers. They do like kind of a Kickstarter, but specifically for vinyl. And I've done two of them. Bandcamp, it's unlike Kickstarter because if you want to create incentives for people, they need to be shipped with like a record mailer. Yep. So something yeah, yeah. flat. So I did handwritten lyrics as one of the options oh, that that's people fun. can pledge yeah. for. And piece of paper fits right in. And then, so I was bouncing ideas back and forth with my Bandcamp rep and they're like, okay, well, I can make a mix CD of like rare tracks and like do like a whole thing. And they love the idea. And I was like, okay, let's see. And I, I offered it as an option and like they sold out. It's amazing. And there is a song on the new album, Bergonomic, dropping everywhere August 1st. Available on Bandcamp now as you're listening. But uh, sorry, again, <laughs> got to be the shameless promo. Sure, yeah, Bergonomic, yeah. I have a song called CDs Are Back. Because I think oh, I they're back. It. Are you scribbling on each one of them in Sharpie? I feel like yes. that's the true Great. way. Okay. Good, good, good. Yes, Layton, oh, there you, go. you get it. You get it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I used to go through those, I feel like a couple a year of those spindles. Damn. I, being much younger, still had one of those spindles under my desk so I could make a little playlist for my friends. It's the best. Yeah. You know, making a mix CD for someone still, like I actually have been doing it for some of my close friends for years. I'm always listening to new music. You know, we all have our friends who don't really check for new stuff. And I know like my friends who love hip hop, I'm like, I know the stuff you loved 10, 15 years ago, and there's still new stuff coming out that kind of fits that vibe. So I always kind of make a little playlist and burn a CD for these people, whether they have CD players or not. I don't know. Laptops don't have like disk drives anymore. It's fucked I up. know. I used to do this thing for probably close to 10 years where it was me and some college friends. They called it Circular Music Club. And every month someone would pick a theme and everyone would submit tracks and the chooser of the theme would then compile liner notes and burn CDs and mail them out to everybody on the list. And I think we did like, it was over a hundred of these. I think we got to around 120, 130 before we called it quits. But it was like the highlight of the month to get all this new music from trusted sources, like a curated playlist. And sometimes you like it and sometimes you don't. And there were liner notes and it was awesome. And I learned about so much music from CMC, Circular Music Club, which I think we're more than 10 years past when this was a thing. We definitely are. But in the early to mid 2000s, this was like a big, big part of my life. And now it's so easy to do because anyone can make a curated playlist on any of the streaming services. But of course, back in, you know, 2000, it was a lot harder. Like even then, I remember having to get a CD burner specifically for my computer so I could, I could do that kind of stuff. I love that stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, dude. Working in the comic store, we used to have people who'd make their own zines and they drop off photocopy zines. And I got yeah, really into like the zine yep. culture, like that kind of thing. Like no matter what the quality is, it doesn't matter because you're like experiencing this 
thing that someone thought about and created and then you are taking it in and you're listening to those CDs and listening to these new songs and you might discover the greatest song you've ever heard, yep. but you're listening to the ears of someone else. I don't know. It's just, That's right. those things are beautiful. Like I love that stuff and it does still exist, but in random things, Bandcamp's a great place for this. You know, I don't work for, I'm not sponsored by Bandcamp or anything, but I'm always impressed to see other artists doing these little chapbooks or zines. Yep. It's inspiring to see when people are doing this. Just like the little DIY, physical, just offline kind of cool things that you have to be in the know. You have to be in the CMC or whatever. Like there's so much value to that as opposed to, like you're saying, a Spotify playlist that anyone can slap together in five yeah. minutes. I've been debating. Were we talking about this, Layton, for this podcast? The only way to join is to mail something in. Like there's a form, you have to print it out, mail it in. And you get the printed out newsletter, whatever, once a month with special stuff. It's like old school fan club kind of yes, thing. Yes, yeah. Weren't we talking about this? I think we did, but I don't think we suggested anything fun, serious. I think it was all unfeasible. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like Patreon, but a huge pain in the ass, basically. Yes. We at some point discussed late and night branded mayo packets. That's one. Yes. But shipping that. Again, you would have to have an enclosure so the packets don't open. And then there's also, we wanted to do condoms maybe, but then it's also like, there are a lot of people who are, you know, maybe don't want condoms to come to their parents' house with the name of a podcast (laughs) on them, but at least that at least let their parents know that they're not having any sex. Sorry. I'm giving it in the package. It's from yeah. the yeah. <laughs> We thought of for a long time about should we do Ninja Sex Party condoms, but literally the last thing in the world I want is for someone to be like, hey, your condom didn't work, you know, <laughs> and then someone got a disease or pregnant or something else that they didn't want to happen. And yeah. it just feels like a lawsuit waiting to happen and also kind of yeah. a bummer. Wasn't there some option where it was like, it wasn't a condom, but it was some other object that was shaped like a condom, like a candy or something. Am what? I making this For up? For us? For us. <laughs> what could you be talking about? And I literally have no idea. Say that phrase again. It wasn't a condom, but it was shaped like a condom, but it was a candy. Okay, so you know how our lovely merch people will send us like options for things? Yeah, yeah. You recall this? Yes. It was something in there. It was not condoms. But it was made to look like it. It was like a lollipop with, it looked like a condom wrapper on it. That's what it was. Oh, okay. That makes a lot. Because <laughs> I was thinking of like a long thing, like an yeah, unrolled I know you were. condom. I know you were. Right. And I was like, what could be a tube that looks like, <laughs> looks a, like condom, a condom, but, but is, is a candy? A candy. Yeah. I was thinking okay. about the package, like a circle, and it was like an action figure hula hoop. It's yeah. Like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine regular lollipop that's flat it just has like condom packaging on it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. do you have any fun word burglar merch you sell anything weird or interesting well i do t-shirts and baseball caps so i just got new t-shirts made and this is one of the caps you're wearing now oh no this is just coincidentally just a w if a sports team has a w i kind of have to get it so this is washington (laughs) senators gotcha how about the ones behind you you've got multiple w hats behind you that one is winnipeg blue bombers and that one is another washington hat i think that's you washington yeah it's all word burglar i mean it's okay yeah of course yeah and yeah like i'm working on a few different things like we have a comic book actually like people make me toys sometimes like actually my friend kieran just made me a i have a whole album 
inspired by G.I. Joe stuff. So we made this G.I. Joe rap viper figure. Oh, thing. that's awesome. And yeah. It's a Chris Pratt head on there. And uh, maybe. <laughs> well, what do you think? <laughs> yep. I got a couple of those too. A fan gave me this one once. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. You know, I don't know who this was originally, but it's so cool. I keep it on my desk over here. It was always Ninja Brian. Yeah, yeah it was always Ninja Brian. Yeah, I mean, the creativity out there is amazing. And I just love, you know, seeing what people come up with. And if people bring you things that shows, there's no greater feeling than someone like took one of your songs and wanted to do something with it. It is amazing. It is also amazing when you fly home with like a crate load of <laughs> gigantic merch or whatever. It's like a two foot by two foot ceramic block or something. And it's like, wow, this is going to be a challenge to get home, but it's so cool that I have to. But you, the thing it, is, you know? is that you and the people that we know will take it to the limit to get those things back home. Yes. And I love that very much where it's just like, here's this huge thing. It's here. We're taking it home. Let's go. We did our 10th anniversary show in Chicago. Someone made us a full on like music box of a bunch of our songs in like this very ornate, kind of thing. We had to have that shipped home. Wow. We were kicking off a European tour from there. And it was like, this is unbelievable. Like someone, you know, it's got the spindle and everything. That's and crazy. It was like someone put in an ungodly amount of work to make this happen. Yeah. How can you not keep something cool? That's like that. Yeah. That's incredible. It's the creativity and the time. Like sometimes you get these really elaborate things like that or art that people clearly have put a lot of time and effort to. My first a reaction is like, I don't deserve this. <laughs> I'm not good enough for this. <laughs> Thank you, but why me? You know. Yeah, it's like, no, why did you spend time on me? I'm shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I just tell myself, no, no, they did it for the other guy in the band. And then I feel better. <laughs> is it time, Brian? It is time. It is time. So it is time for segments. This is the segment of the show where we move on to segments, although not a segment in itself. This is the transition period between pre-segments and segments. Hey, Brian, don't denigrate your own work. You can call this a segment into the segments. It can be its well, own thing. It's a premarital segment. That's exactly right. <laughs> Look, but Leighton, if we call this a segment, it's going to make your life a living hell because <laughs> no, of what I will reek cleaner. with it. <laughs> it makes it a lot cleaner. So would you like to say that officially... This is a segment? There's no segment here. I'm setting up the next segment. You're fighting this. This is a net positive for you and you're fighting it. It's just interesting to me. I am seriously trying to protect you is what I'm <laughs> trying to do here because of what's going to happen to you if this becomes um, a segment. Do you think that you as a man need to be stepping in to protect me, a woman? Checkmate. <laughs> Moving on. There's no correct answer to that. Exactly. Well, let me ask you, how would you answer that question if you were me, Layden? Yeah, I fucking thought so. All right. So the first segment is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you get to recommend a book, a movie, a video game, whatever it is, something you've been enjoying recently. The name of the segment is What's Poppin'? And it has a theme song that we insert in post. So you won't hear it now, but you'll hear it when the episode comes out. Theme song goes... Here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Layton, what's poppin'? Great segment, Brian. That was a really good segment that you just did. It's not a segment. It's a pre-segment. No, it's a segment. It's a bit. 
You've been doing a segment slash oh, no, bit no, this oh, whole time. By the way, by the way, a bit is very different from a segment. The show has lots of bits. A segment may be a bit, but a bit is not per se a segment. I don't know about your units of measurement here. In the progression of what's popping and the introduction to what's popping, whether you want to call it a segment or a bit or what Which have it you. Is not, it is not a segment. Right. I like that we've entered a zone. And it's not a bit either, by the way, just to right. make sure I say We've that. entered a zone in which I can see our guests get progressively more uncomfortable the more sublimated the bit becomes. <laughs> I like to think of them as bored rather than uncomfortable. It's one thing if we're yelling at each other and that's like obviously a joke. It's another when we're like, yes, this is civil. This is going so well. Yes. Anyway, just something I've noticed. I'm enjoying this. I'm Great, thoroughly good. enjoying I'm it. Yeah, I'm watching the skit unfold. Yes. Sean, do you think that the introduction to a segment, especially if, say, put it typically takes like somewhere this. around five minutes. This is unfair. Would you call that a segment? Well, it becomes a bit of a bit, I guess, wouldn't it? Would you consider a bit in a segment the same thing, Sean, though? If it's a recurring bit, I guess that could be a segment that's recurring. Which it's not, by the way. It is not a recurring bit. I don't know. I like that, though. That's a good line of thinking, Sean. That's very A recurring good. bit can be a segment. Is there a minimum length on a segment? I mean, a bit can be two seconds. Well, right? I'm thinking like an SNL weekend update. Is weekend update, it comes back, it's a regular segment, but it's, it's kind segment. of a bit. It's spoofing the news. So okay. it's a regular, I don't okay. know, like is this kind of the line of thought we're thinking? When we happen to do recurring bits on this show, as which we I've often never done. do, which we often do, I've never done sometimes one. you decide to write a theme song for certain bits, and in which case they become segments. So Okay, that's that's true. Uh, I can think of some examples. What are your subs? One peach each. Mm -hmm. Right. Probably mm -hmm. others. Family Fredit, which Spam we only did once. Spamalot, that's right. Um but but I wouldn't call those. Unlike bits. Spamalot, which we've only really done once or twice. Once, once or twice, yeah. This particular bit slash segment happens yeah. every week. Sometimes very long too. I don't recall ever doing this before, if that helps. <sighs> What's popping for me is a little adult swim show called Moral Oral. Oh, shit. Wow. Have either of you seen Moral Oral? I mean, not for 15 years, but yeah. I remember when it kind of came out. I watched a lot of Venture Brothers, so I was on mm. the uh, adult swim tip. But I, Huge I can't actually fan, place yeah. if I watched Moral Oral or not. I remember the name. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, I think my dad's friend had loaned him a DVD of it along with Frisky Dingo and we specced into watching Frisky Dingo, right? Yes, <laughs> love Frisky Dingo. Oh, yep. the best. And Amazing. the obstacles and everything afterwards. <laughs> Frisky Dingo, oh my gosh. Yeah, nobody talks about it, but still. And then we never really touched Moral Oral and in hindsight, I'm like, we had Moral Oral in the house and I could have watched it so much earlier and been like psychologically slash emotionally helped by it. Like uh -huh. it would have meant so much more. Anyway, so folks at home, Moral Oral is like a very Davy and Goliath style stop motion yes. animation show. I mean, a direct reference to it. It right. is, yeah. yeah. Where every week, the sweet little boy from State Soda, a Moralton State Soda, just tries to figure out his love for Jesus while everyone in town gives him horrible, conflicting Christian advice, which leads to hijinks in which he is trying to please God and then ends up doing horrific things like murder. <laughs> yeah. 
It's very <laughs> silly. And then it gets incredibly, incredibly dark. Oh, it goes there. Well, to the point that the ending of season two is in- extremely dark. And then Adult Swim was like, we loved that. Can you guys just make it way darker for season three? And then they did and Adult Swim canceled the show because they went too dark. So if that's any indication, I watched most of it, pretty much all of it in the past week because it's all on YouTube. It's immediately up there with like all-time favorites for me. Scott adds it as Clay Puppington is like one of my favorite voice acting performances in a thing. Holy shit. And I finished the show last night and I rolled two perfect tears at the ending of it. And that never happens. I don't even remember the last time I actually cried for real. And it was just like, this is beautiful. Because the show is so dark and awful that it really makes you earn the like earnest, sweet stuff of which there is very little. And so when you get there, you're like, we made it, guys. Anyway, moral oral. Hey, folks at home, if you have any experience with like growing up in, I don't know, insanely Christian States, towns, families, and, you know, deal with any sort of like, I don't know, fucked up family systems. Moral Oral is absolutely a show you should watch. So that's what's popping for me. Love it. Is it a Dino Stamatopoulos show? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sean, what's popping? Yeah. Well, just real quick, I've never heard anyone really sell me on Moral Oral that much. And that's amazing. And Frisky Dingo, you just made me think the animation style in Archer and some of the comedy style. I wonder if that evolved from Frisky Dingo. Oh, it's the same people. I think it was like Frisky Dingo and then C-Lab, question mark, and then Archer. Yeah, they did the Exticles, I think, for a year. And then Archer came. Was C-Lab before Frisky Dingo, though? I can't remember. It might have been. I never watched C-Lab. Oh, I loved C-Lab when it was on. Loved it. C-Lab and Space Ghost were on at the same time. Those are those really early adult swim shows, even before Moral Oral, I think. Yeah, Moral Oral was like 2005-ish. Because Aqua Team was after even Space Ghost and Sea Lab, I think, mm-hmm. although right around the same time. Sea Lab was 2002? Yeah. And Space Ghost, I guess, was even earlier. Space Ghost was like 97 or something that that started. I didn't realize what a touchstone Moral Oral was as like doing really dramatic, dark adult animation stuff. And I think it just does that bit so well. Anyway, Sean, yes. what's popping? You made me think of the show I watched the finale of. I think maybe at the start of the pandemic, the final season came out and I watched it all up to the final episode. And then I was waiting because I knew the final episode was going to be a bit longer. I needed to be in this space. But I loved the show so much that I was afraid to watch the ending. I don't know if this has ever happened to you or anyone listening. All sure. the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I can't finish it. I'm like that with video games too. Like sometimes I'll play a video game to 99% and then I'm like, I don't want to end this. I'm going to come back to it. I currently have like three different games. I've just left it like the 99%. I do the exact same thing. I've never talked to another person who does it. Like I'll put 300 hours in a game and be like, I'm not playing the ending. Can't do it. Mm -hmm. Not really. Yeah. So this show finally one night, it just happened. And I was like, I'm going to watch the last episode. The show is on Netflix. Maybe you've seen it. It's called Dark. It's a German oh, show. Yes. It, have you have either of you watched it? I've watched the first episode, I think, five times. And I love it. It's so great. And then I get to the end, and then something happens where I wait two months before I'm ready to watch the next one. And then I have completely forgotten everything that happened. And so I rewatch the first episode, iterate that five times. 
I'm like, this is so good. It's got all the time travel shit I like, <laughs> and I just have not finished it or even really started it. Yeah, Brian, no, you're totally right. I can't think of any other show in recent memory that you have to pay attention to every second because yes, there's characters. Yes. And I watch it with the original German actors with the English subtitles. Netflix yep, that's does what I have too. an option. Yep. And some of the characters you're like, they kind of look alike. Like, I don't know who anybody is. It's so yes. easy to get lost. And I was afraid I was going to have that. I was like, am I going to have to go rewatch the whole thing again? But as soon as I locked into that final episode, it all came back. And I can't wait to rewatch it. I don't want okay. to spoil it for anyone. I, uh, I was a huge fan of the show Lost. Yep, and same. we could create a whole podcast talking about that or not. But this show paid the ending of Dark. It actually was beautiful. It was perfect. And I was so impressed with that show. It kind of brought me to a tear. I could feel a tear coming in. I thought the end was very beautiful. And also it wrapped everything up. It tied everything together. The whole show was smart. It approached time travel unlike anything else. I'm like you. I yeah. love time travel yep, shows. Same. Movies, books, etc. Obsessed with that stuff. And most of the time, people fuck up the time travel stuff where it makes no sense because it's hard to get right. And look, I understand narrative kind of has to win when it comes to that stuff, but there are so many like time travel things where I'm like, didn't you guys think about this like at all for like two seconds? There are very few things where I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then sometimes I think the trade-off is if you do the time travel coherently, it's going to be so convoluted that it's hard to do right. And of course, I'm thinking about Primer. Here, I was about to say. Which is a, an amazing film that makes absolutely zero sense until you watch it 40 times. And even then, you don't know what's going on. And getting it incredibly, you know convoluted and I guess accurate when you do the billion page long Reddit post at the cost of it. I fucking hate that movie. <laughs> I just don't think it's interesting to watch and I don't want to have to like start a spreadsheet to be like, so this happened and then this happened and then this happened. I like the movie a lot, but I have to say, I also am completely unwilling to put in the amount of work that would be required even to read the fucking Reddit post about explaining it. It's a Redditor's wet dream. Yes, that's exactly right. Okay, so I'm going to go back to dark based on this recommendation. Are you going to time travel back to dark? Yes, thank you. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm going to time travel back to when I watched it the first time and tell myself not to stop. It is laid out so well. Like, kudos to the creators, and that's the thing where they just, they thought it all through. They made it bulletproof. Great show. So that's my, that's what's popping. Awesome. Beautiful. Brian, what's popping? All right, what's popping for me? This is a weird one. It might be kind of sample heaven here. You guys have Spotify? What's that? It's the internet music streaming service that's currently completely fucking me over. But other than that. Right. Uh, <laughs> Sounds cool. So say we all. It's so cool. Okay. Search for the following thing. KPM 1000 Editor's Companion. And these are like a four album set of little music cues. Ooh. Okay, the one you really want. KPM 1000 series, Editor's Companion, Volume 4, Shock Horror A. This is a fucking production, Brian. Yeah, there's more companions than in a season of Doctor Who. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Let me see Brian, if I can if find this. If you're saying that it's on Spotify, just send us a link to the fucking song. No, I refuse to do that. I found it. Dick Walter. Dick Walter. Okay, wait, wait, wait. I'm going to send you the most famous thing from this. Okay, it's in the chat. 
click on it and play it. I'm clicking. Wow. It's that and a bazillion other things, which are these amazing music cues Mm. for every fucking thing you could possibly ever want. And it's four albums worth of this stuff. In general, the KPM stuff is all kind of like this, but there's some really great stuff. And they're all like, I think the longest is like a couple minutes or something like that. They're all really short. And some of them are really, really cool. That's the most famous one. So I, I found out about this on an episode of the podcast, 20,000 Hertz, uh, uh-huh, recently, which is how I heard about this. And then I just plowed through this album because they're so great. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. I what love do you this. do while you listen to these albums, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think of segments and bits for the show. Oh, that's great. You can start putting together a theme song for your... Yeah, no. for my non-existent bit. For your segment that you do. So that's what's popped for me. Duh. I can hear that dropping <laughs> <in> right there. Because, <laughs> Brian, if you don't do it, I will. <laughs> okay, look, have fun. Uh, but yeah, that's what's popping. KPM 1000, Editor's Companion. Lots of great little, tiny little audio files. And I think the guy who, who wrote them all is this British guy with a big like music hall background. And they're very dramatic and fun. And a lot of them sound like cartoon music, but they're great. Love it. Yeah, it says here, as heard in Ren and Stimpy's SpongeBob SquarePants and Roseanne. <laughs> oh, I believe it. Okay. You listen to a lot of these and it's very, yeah, like SpongeBobby, Ren and Stimpy mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yep. All right. Segment two, like Layton. Segment number three. Welcome nope. to Peaches and Lemons, the final segment of Layton Night with Brian Wecht, in which we each share three peaches, things that are good, that we're excited about, that we're looking forward to, or good things that happened, and one lemon each, which is a thing that is a minor bummer or annoyance or something that, you know, we just want to commiserate about that isn't that serious. So the theme song for the segment, the third segment, Peaches and Lemons, goes right here. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, that was the theme song for our third segment, Peaches and Lemons. We're going to start with lemons, which is a thing that it's a minor bummer or annoyance. So, I can start. I can start off this second segment yeah, yeah, yeah. with Would you with like my to? with my lemon. It's the third, actually. Uh, it is not. My lemon is why is it every time I have something on my Google Calendar that's about to happen, I get seemingly fifty different notifications. <laughs> from it on all different platforms. I get texts, I get email. It's, it's like woof from the office. It, <laughs> it feels like there are a hundred different things and some of them are like half an hour before and I know this is a preference, but they always come in like packs of 12. And then I'm like, <laughs> why did I suddenly get 20 new emails? Oh, it's my fucking Google calendar reminding me of one thing, but does it think I'm stupid? Yes. Does it think oh, I'm going to delete one email right away? It's so overwhelming, and I have no idea how to manage it. I've tried to turn these things off, and it seems impossible. So that's my lemon. Is like, would not a simple text message or notification, whatever it is, one email, that's all I need. All I need. Yeah. Okay, so when you look at your calendar, do you see our late night episode records like double as two things? That's part of it. But even when they're not, because I have it on my personal calendar right? because I accepted the invitation and then also on our late night calendar because we both own it. I would love to just see one because I look at my calendar at a glance and I'm like, Jesus, I'm busy. There's a lot going on. Yeah, completely with you on that lemon. Yep. But it's like even with one of those, you get five emails about it. 
Yeah. Why? Oh, and God forbid Why? somebody reschedules or changes the date oh. or time a little bit. I got to say yes no. to the invite again. God, that's an so act hard. of violence when people do that. <laughs> but usually that means they're rescheduling, and that means that I don't have to do that thing as soon. Oh. As I previously thought. That is a sweet peach when someone cancels a non-urgent thing on you. There's no better and feeling. And they're like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and it's like, no, baby, you just made my day. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. All right. That's my lemon. My lemon is that, as I'll discuss with peaches, I have a 3D printer and I've gotten into 3D printing. But one of the things that you have to do when you take the resin off of the build plate is you have to like give it a nice bath and some isopropyl alcohol to get that uncured resin off. It's like a whole part of the process and you can't get like 70%, you have to get 90%. So it's like the dank stuff. And so I got a special Tupperware container that I could put it in, you know, so that I could have some room to wash my pieces and hit it with a little like toothbrush so I can get all the uncured resin off. And so I filled it up and I was ready for my prints to be done in the morning. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, why does it smell like a hospital in my apartment? Oh, no. Uh -oh. And I come over to my craft table and the entire table is soaked with about 75% of a bottle of isopropyl alcohol that I had poured into this Tupperware because there are drainage holes at the bottom of the Tupperware what? that I bought. Why? Uh, Excellent question, Brian. I was also asking myself this as I was cleaning 90% rubbing alcohol. What? Yeah. So it was like one of those little like rubber things where like, oh, you press it out and it'll drain and you push it back in and it doesn't. Well, it wasn't pressed in because I didn't fucking know it was there. So. For a second, I thought you were going to say it like Breaking Bad style ate through the bottom of the That would be pretty cool. Tupperware. That's also what I thought. And instead, no, it's just a design thing of like, why? It's Tupperware. I need to put things in the Tupperware, presumably liquid things, and the Tupperware, hence the need for the Tupperware. So why are there holes? So that's my lemon. Great. Sean, lemon? Lemon. Well, uh, as you know, I'm currently promoting my new album. And <laughs> as all indie artists know, this struggle is to always try and get the word out. And I recently came to the realization that this happens almost every time I have a new album or a new video or anything I'm trying to promote. Half the places that covered my last thing don't exist anymore or right. the person has moved on. And it's just a little frustrating thing. I mean, look, I love what I do. It's great. And I guess I get great peaches because I get to meet people like you and they're like, I've never done this show. And hopefully maybe if I do something in the future, I can come back. But you know, sure, of course, yeah. you know, I could go on with a laundry list of the frustrations of trying to release your own right. album. Or they say, well, we just covered your last one, so we can't yeah. do it again this time because it's not really that different. And you're like, no, yeah. it's a new fucking album. Yes, it is different. And even finding blogs and anything that really reviews music anymore, like how people find new music other than like just going on Spotify and just checking out a playlist or something. The algorithm. I saw some stats recently about like new music consumption versus catalog. And compared to, I think, even five years ago, it is flip-flop. Like, and people are primarily listening to catalog rather than new music now, which didn't used to be the case. Yeah. Again, back to Bandcamp, I found that has been like where I've discovered so much new music and I just feel it's, it's fresher. You can just search and find and see what people recommend. And, and I find it easier than Spotify for that yeah. kind of thing. But, you know, on top of being a 
music creator, I'm a listener as well. And I think maybe if people have a bit more passive music listening habits and, you know, Spotify works great. And, you know, yep. at the end of the day, I'm always happy if someone's discovering my music. But when you try and get the word out after you've worked for two years on an album, <laughs> it's, it's very like, hard. And also, I don't know if this happens to you, but you're leading up to release day and you're tweeting about it or whatever, and it's all big. And then you put it on release day. And then after that, you're like, okay, I promoted it. And then you're like, wait, no, actually, I have to keep this going, wait, forever now? And I always forget to do the follow-ups where it's like, no, because most people are going to miss the initial announcement. It's that classic, and I'm sure like every touring musician ever, this has happened to you, where you spend months and months promoting a tour, you play in a city, and the next day, someone's like, oh, man, what? You came to fucking Halifax? What? And you're like, no, I, do you not follow me? Well, I yeah. talked about this every day for the past three months. How could you miss that? And in your mind, it's like, no, I never shut up about this. And still people are like, oh, dude, I can't believe you. You know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, without fail. And you feel bad because I'm like, I don't want to be spamming people. I don't want to be telling everybody about 100%. it. But when you have X amount of people who are signed up to hear your updates and then only X amount of people come to a show or hear your album or whatever, you're like, something's disconnected here. But yeah, it's a bit of a lemon, I will yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> Self-promotion sucks, and the people who love doing it are not good people. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the time. I can't do social media and stuff every day because I'm trying to make stuff. So I find the people who sometimes overly promote then the product they're promoting, it might just be, you know, maybe you should have spent more time trying to make something that was cool. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. What a nightmarish ecosystem we currently exist in, <laughs> yeah. media-wise. I love it. Speaking of things that I love, let's each do peaches. Great. I can go. Okay. Here are my peaches. Um, now, this first one's a pretty big fucking deal. So I ask that everybody listening and the two of you retain your composure when I drop this bombshell on you. This week, my daughter, Audrey, who's eight, was camper of the week at her summer camp. I know, I know. Congratulations. Yes, it's, it, it's, it's cool. one-fifth of the Seagot. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, she came home from camp today beaming with this little thing behind her back. And I was like, uh-oh, I think I know what happened. Because word on the street was that she was a strong contender this week. Wow. Yeah. A counselor like dropped basically as a way of telling her to keep behaving well, which she did. And so she has a little slip of paper that says camper of the week and she is fucking thrilled. So that's peach number one. Congratulations. Congratulations. Peach number two is I have an event coming up. So on August 5th and 6th, an annual conference that I help organize called Nexus, N-E-C-S-S, the Northeast Conference on Science and Skepticism, will be out as an online conference. It's like pop science talks, talks about skepticism, the skeptic's guide to the universe. Jay Novella, past guest on the show, friend of the show, is one of the organizers with me. Skeptic's Guide to the Universe do their podcast on it. And this year, our keynotes are Bill Nye and David Copperfield. Whoa. Wow. So it is Bill Nye talks to David Copperfield. There's going to be lots of other fun stuff. We're going to be doing 
the game show that I co-created, Boomer vs. Zoomer. It's an online kind of game show. We're doing that. And it's going to be a bunch of really fun talks by scientists and, you know, other people from all over the world. So it's online. Anyone can buy a ticket. They're not that expensive. How much are they? I don't remember, but they're not that expensive. <laughs> and you can buy a ticket and then you can see the conference, you know, for months. We put so much fucking work in this thing and I always forget to promote it. So I promised myself I wouldn't forget this year. Go to NECSS.org. This is more of a plug than a peach, but it's also a peach because it's a really fun event. Peach plug. And how often do you get to say you did a thing with fucking David Copperfield? That's my second peach. And my third peach, real short, for the first time in many, many years, I am back on the Game Grumps channel this week. Danny, my partner in Ninja Sex Party, and I are doing a playthrough of King's Quest Seven, And the first episode came out this week. I used to be a regular part of the channel, and it's been many years since I was, and it's really nice to be back, and I hope people enjoy the episode. So I think probably by the time this comes out, the full playthrough will be up. It's probably two parts, might be three, so you can check it out on in Game Grumps. Wow. Those did you plug features. this show on there, perchance? You know what? Uh, I did not. I didn't even plug my tour on there, I think. I came in with all this stuff I wanted to do, and then I totally forgot. Sick. Sorry. Congratulations, Brian. Thank you. You go viral on TikTok. You go back on Game Grumps. You don't talk about this show. I talk about the show all the fucking time. <laughs> That's really cool. Dave Copperfield and Bill Nye, that is going to be a very interesting conversation. I can't yeah. imagine. We've been lucky. We've had Bill at a few of the conferences. We're not like buds or anything, but you know, he's friends with some of the other organizers and he's been nice enough to give his time to the conference. And he's a sweetheart of a guy and has been is happy to show up and just do stuff. He's a semi-regular at this point, and Copperfield was just like a holy shit kind of wow. get. Yeah, I would have a lot of questions. There's a lot of overlap with people interested in this kind of stuff, like pop science and skepticism and magicians. There's a lot of magicians because mm -hmm. there's a lot of like, it's that Penn and Tellery kind of thing where we're like, we're lying to you, but we're telling you we're lying to you. That's a science in itself almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of like, you know, magicians are all about drawing attention away from certain things. So there's a lot of interesting like cognitive science kind of stuff you can learn from how magicians draw your attention without you knowing it. So yeah, there's a big overlap. And if I remember correctly from Dungeons and Dragons, ninjas were very adept at magic. Oh, indeed we are. But yes. sadly, oh. <laughs> I cannot reveal any of my secrets. <laughs> what can I say? It's part of the ninja code. Could they do psionics? I don't recall. Oh, you know what? I can't. That's a good question. Could we? We. What? I can't believe I said we. Yes, you did. Let's say yes. It only exists in D&D, &D, right? Psionics? Yeah. I don't think people say psionics anywhere else. I've heard people say psi energy elsewhere in other RPG type things. Sean, got any peaches? Well, you know, my daughter is two and a half. Oh, nice. Just the best. And she did say, when I got my mullet, she said, you look like a lion. And then uh, <laughs> tonight when I got it all cut off, I came back and said, got all my hair cut off. She said, you got all your hair cut off. It's not coming back. And <laughs> she's like, okay. But she still recognized you. She knew who you were. Yeah. I was actually thinking that. I, I said that to my wife. I'm like, do you think she's going to be freaked out to see me with super short hair? She's known me with long hair her whole life. Yeah. But she's the best. So 
Definitely my daughter, Peach, definitely. Oh, they're so cute at that age. So small. And every day there's like 5,000 things that you're just like, you want to remember. I can't believe this. She did this. Oh my God. They're still saying really cute shit all the time. I remember (laughs) before I had a kid, I was like, "Eh, you probably get used to how cute it is. You definitely do not. It's cute all the time. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm loving it. Yeah. And then Big Peach, we're having another baby so we're oh, due no way. Uh, awesome. first weekend in september so oh shit wow oh yeah God. we're having Congrats. a boy so thank you very excited about that so i basically became a parent during the pandemic and now we're doing it again it going. so yeah we <laughs> liked it so much we're gonna keep it going so we're very excited about that so that's huge peach and then yeah. relatively minor in comparison but i have a new album out and i'm pretty excited about it so <laughs> yeah yeah so it's, it's a good month you said it before, we'll say it again. Where can people get it? Wordburglar.com. Right now it's on Bandcamp. So it's funny with the promoting thing. I was like, I'm going to put it on Bandcamp for the first month. For everyone who supported me on Bandcamp, it's name your price. If you're listening now and you're like, Word Burglar, who's this? You want to take a chance? You can go get it for $0. Name yep. your price. Any price you can name. You can go get Bergonomic. I think it's my best album yet. It's got That's some so comic great. book stuff, video game stuff, nerdy stuff, wordplay, old school hip hop. Please check it out. I'd appreciate that. And then it will be on all streaming services like all my other albums as of August 1st. That's great. Um, yeah, wordburglar.com. I'm the only word burglar in the <laughs> phone book. Is it one producer or did you have a bunch of different producers for different tracks? This one actually worked with 11 different producers. Whoa. Over the years, I've met so many different people. I got to work with you know some legends from my hometown like Buck65, who you may have heard of, and, mm-hmm. and Joe Rum Bombay, who's like one of the greatest hip-hop producers, I think, in Canada. And then I work with, yeah, Beat Mason, Fresh Kills, Timbuktu, Peter Project, DK, Iron Monkey, like so many incredible producers. I'm going to just forget people if I start naming them. But yeah, Megaran, who you may know, I'm not sure if you know Megaran, he's on mm-hmm. the record. And Rich O'Coin, who your listeners yep. may know, he's on the sure. record. And uh, it's great. It's a great time. Bergonomic. You know, I've listened to your podcast. I, I know all your music and stuff. And I, I think I think there's some really fun crossover and geeky yeah, for sure. sets. Yeah. For sure. Hell awesome. yes. Layton, Peaches. My first one is just kind of a broader one, but it's really nice in writing, especially writing with another person when you bang your head against the wall for three hours and are like, we've got nothing done. This is bullshit. Why can't we just make something up? It's fiction. It's so easy to make something up, right? It's supposed to be easy. And then eventually, like, it just arrives. And Mm. that feeling is so, it's just straight dopamine right in you. It's the best, especially when it's like with a friend and you figured it out and it's just like, yes, we got it. Um, So I had one of those the other day and it was awesome. And my second peach is, it's been week one of having a 3D printer and it's the fucking greatest. Check this out. I made a hook from Dead by Daylight. This is just the first coat of paint on it. It's hard to tell with the pixelation right now, but yes. Yeah, yeah, it looks amazing. I've got a companion cube keycap. I've got a GameCube keycap. I've got this little pumpkin with a witch hat. I've got a little Game Boy. I've got uh, an N64 cartridge. I've got, uh, oh, I started painting these because that's part of this. I've got a little, little Skelly Boy. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've got a little jack-o'-lantern. Nice. 
that neither of you can see. But we will. And people who are listening to the audio-only version. Yeah, they can get fucked. Yeah, it's just amazing. I love painting stuff, and it's just truly absolute magic to either make something myself or find a file online and be like, all right, I want that. And then I can have that and paint it. So it's just like a dream. Congratulations. Thank you. My third peach is I have a sandwich in the fridge. Describe. No. I mean, it's got a freezer and then a other part of the fridge. There is a sandwich in my fridge that I'm going to eat. You're not going to tell us what the sandwich is? No. <laughs> That's. I'm just excited about the sandwich. I don't need to tell you what's on it. I'm just excited about it. Why wouldn't you tell us what's on it? A woman has her secrets. This is suspicious. There's no sandwich. (laughs) You did what happened here, and I know exactly what happened, is you did not have a third peach, so you made up a fake sandwich to take the slot of the third peach. I don't have to make anything up about how wonderful and delicious this sandwich sandwich. totally exists. Show us the sandwich. Yeah, okay. I fucking knew it. Every time. I don't have to prove to you that I have a sandwich. I can oh, just because you can't see it physically here doesn't mean I don't have it. You know what? I'm just fine. being cagey because I can. Because mm-hmm. why not? Because last week my lemon was that I'm sick of repeating myself. <laughs> and if I say specifically what the sandwich is, I'm repeating myself. So it's a sandwich you've eaten before, which is also not a shock because you know you enjoy the sandwich. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Well, what a way to go out. Yes, you're correct. Completely fake peach. <laughs> Pavlov's, isn't it a Pavlov sandwich situation here? That's exactly, yes. Uh, That's exactly a, a, what's a Schro- going on. Schrodinger's sandwich situation. That's what I'm thinking. Yes. Schrodinger, yeah. Yeah. Well, it is definitely the end of this podcast episode, and mm-hmm. I'm so hungry, and I'm so excited. This has been wonderful, but I've very hungry and I want to eat that sandwich because I've been thinking about that sandwich all day. Which kind of sandwich was it? I'm not telling you. I think, yeah, okay. You're saying that like you're going to come and take my sandwich and I'm coveting it. Look. It's mine. I paid money for it. I don't want to reveal anything, but if I wanted to take that sandwich, I could take that sandwich. It's my sandwich. I have people in place (laughs) ready to take that sandwich. And all I need to do, I need to text one letter on this phone. And they'll take your sandwich. <laughs> Unless you tell me what it is, of course. Come on, Brian. My dog doesn't have a phone. Yeah. <laughs> well, who was I texting with then? <laughs> All the texts just say, woof, woof, bark, bark. I don't know what dog you're texting, but she's very yeah. articulate. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. That's the end of the episode. Sean, you talked about your album. Where can people find you online if they want to check you out? Yeah, we're burglar.com. I'm at on Instagram at the word burglar. Twitter is just at word burglar. And then, yeah, Spotify, Apple, Bandcamp, everything like that. I've got a YouTube channel, Word Burglar Official, which I think we've got a lot of pretty fun, geeky Dude, videos that you think you might dig. We didn't talk about it at all. I love the Rhyme O'Clock video and song. Thank you. Of all the ones that I was to, that was far and away my favorite. It's just such a great tune. I mean, the cadence on that rules. I love that the title isn't at the end of the eight bar phrase. It's so great. And the video is awesome too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's with my buddy, uh, more or less, who's an incredible rapper. Oh, DJ. He's great. Yeah. 
he's phenomenal. We work together a lot. And, uh, thank you very much. So, and thanks for having me. This has been absolutely amazing. You know, Rich had said, Do you guys really get along? And I was like, Well, I've listened to the podcast. I'm like, I would love to chat and hang out. And I feel like we could just keep talking for hours. So I absolutely. will shut up. But <laughs> thank you. <laughs> it's been a total pleasure and a great way to spend the day for sure. Yeah, man. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. I'm so excited to check out the new album and like everyone else should too. If it's anything at all like the older stuff, it's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Normally, I would take this time at the end of the show to offer- Do a third segment? To do a fourth segment in which I ask for advice for the listeners or just give them a nice little send-off. But I'm really desperate to get that sandwich. So everyone at home, go get your sandwich. Go get your sandwich. That's good advice. Bye. Bye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>